Good morning. We hit the 70s, so I thought, let's wear long sleeves and call it fall. Um, Hey, we're uh, in the book of Ephesians, so if you could go there, Ephesians chapter 2. We're in a series called Better Together, and I believe that we are better together. It's good to have you all with us. Uh, I want us to focus today. We're going to be talking about death and life. Perhaps one of the greatest things, greatest names ever given to Jesus comes from Peter's lips in Acts chapter 3 where he says that you have killed the author of life. You've killed the author of life. Paul, uh, a little bit later in Acts 17, he's in Athens and he's saying, in him we live and we move and we have our being. John says, in him was life and that life was the light of man. It's an amazing thing to think about that in his hands, he holds life, the power of life. Look at all of the things we as humans have accomplished, whether it's iPhones to NASA. Uh, I, I've even seen that there was this, this 3D printer, which is kind of mind-boggling to me, the whole 3D printer thing, but a 3D printer that could actually print working blood vessels that could be transplanted into a human body. And with all of our technology, all of our progression, we still can't do what God can do in a single breath, and that is to give life. But there is, within our life, within our culture, a a lot of thinking about death. And and what I want to talk about this morning is dead men walking. Now, there's some examples of this as we have, as we look throughout our culture. Uh, How many have seen Green Mile? Remember this? this? This idea of dead men walking is when, when you're on Skid Row and you're going to your death, that you would walk down the hall, they would yell out this idea, they would, they would yell out this phrase, dead man walking, and everybody would stop. And they would look. But we also have other examples. Uh, Weekend of Bernie's, of course, really popular. They show up and Uncle Bernie's dead, and now we have to make him look like he is alive. Uh, Monty Python. Remember this scene? Bring out your dead... And they bring out the guy that's not quite dead and they just club him over the head. That's really fun. Um, Then Princess Bride gives us something that's pretty... uh, Remember this scene? There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is still slightly alive. But one thing that is just kind of like... I I don't understand it uh, is, is zombies. Now, let's just be honest. Let's be real for a second. How many of you, you... You know about zombies. Let's just, we're going to progress. You know about zombies. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you like like zombies? It's okay. You can still be a Christian and like zombies. How many of you are like obsessed? All right. The ushers will be escorting you out. I'm just kidding. There is this weird thing in culture. And, and I thought like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I did watch like, I think World War Z. Was that the movie? I, I, I just don't, I don't understand it. Like dead people walking around and they want to eat people and stuff like that. But it even goes down even to our, our young kids in preschool. Mary Jane Edwards, who leads our preschool ministry, she said, we had a kid even just a couple of weeks ago that said, so Jesus died, right? Yeah. And then he rose again, right? Yeah. Is Jesus a zombie? <laughs> no. <laughs> so we met with the parents and worked all of that out. <laughs> now, here's what I want us to hear this morning. There's death and there's life. 
we need to understand that we were dead. And we get this. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, I want to read this through the first three verses here. It says, And you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, the pattern of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. There's an outline in your bulletin, but I want you to hear today that we were dead. All of us were dead, completely dead. Not mostly dead, we were dead. If I can accomplish anything this morning is that we would understand how dead we were. Because Christ has raised us up and wants us to have life. Now, there is in your outline, we want, I just want to talk in this passage, just giving us a few different ways that we are, the, the spiritually dead are under the sway of, of three things. Number one, the spiritually dead are under the sway of the world. It says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. The world the word world is, is cosmos. There's a pattern of the world. This, this pattern of the world wants to take us and make us follow its pattern. The world, if we could look at it, is one vast graveyard of souls that are walking around and living and moving, but spiritually are dead. Spiritually are dead. And this is all happening at the influence and the sway of the devil according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Let me just, in your outline, there's a couple things. The, the, the prince of the power of air, this is talking about the devil himself. In John 12, it says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In Matthew 9, it talks about how Satan is the ruler of the demons. In 2 Corinthians, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of of Christ. Satan is pulling the strings here and he's drawing us in, inviting us. And this happened all the way back. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3. He is the father of lies and he wants us to believe that we really are alive when really we are dead. If we have a shallow belief about our sins, we will have a shallow belief about our salvation. And so we have to understand just how far gone we were. The spiritually dead are also under the sway of the flesh. In verse 3, it says, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, I want you to notice there's two things. In verse 2, it says that we were sons of disobedience, which means that this was something that we were born with that this rebellion runs throughout the human race, that it is in our DNA, that we were born with a sinful nature. In verse 3, it says, By nature, we were children of wrath. We were alive to disobedience, and we were dead to obedience. There was nothing in us that we could actually come alive and have any spiritual affection for Christ. We were totally dead. When it comes to our relationship with God, 
we were under his wrath. John 3, it says that he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son, who is disobedient, will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, think about this for a second. When it comes to your relationship with God, sometimes we live with this sense of guilt, that we are in the doghouse with God. I have a doghouse up here. You see the doghouse. Now, how many of you, let me just ask the guys for a second, how many of you guys have been in the doghouse before? Yeah, you should all raise your hands, your, otherwise your wife is going like, to kick you right now and say, <laughs> you remember that one time, our anniversary, you forgot, okay. We've all been in the doghouse. I was in the doghouse at one time, uh, plenty of times with my wife, but one time with my mother. Um, I was 16, 17 years old, and I had that last minute realization, it's Mother's Day. And I hadn't done anything. Now, this is like, what, 20 years ago? The only thing that was open early on a Sunday morning, before there was Albertsons, there was Lucky's. You remember that? And you could go to Albertsons today, you might be able to pull off something. You could at least get a gift card. Those didn't exist back then. And so I'm looking around, frantically got up early on a Sunday morning, and I'm looking around, I need a gift for my mother. And I don't see anything. I can't get her food. Like, here's a bag of potato chips. As I'm walking up and down the aisles, I, I feel a sense of inspiration. I go towards the cleaning section, and I think to myself, she cleans a lot. She's been complaining, like it's hard to kind of hands and knees on the floor. And I saw this beautiful array of mops there. And I thought to myself, I'm a good son. Getting up early, going out, getting her something. So I got her the best mop that they sold at Lucky's that morning. Even put a bow on it. All right? Hit it behind the couch, and uh, I'm, I'm getting ready for the presentation of the presents to my mother on Mother's Day, the one whom I love, who gave birth to me 24 hours in labor, right? And it comes time. I said, Mom, I know you do a lot of work around here. I really appreciate it. I love you so much. I know you've been complaining about just it's really hard to do the floors and all that. And like, so I got you this. Go around the couch. I pull out the mop, and I hand it to her completely oblivious about what's going on really, like what I'm about to do. I was like 16, 17 years old. And my mom looks at the mop. She looks back at me. And I see just a small tear start to form in her eye. And guys, you know when you can get her to cry, this is a good thing. This was not one of those moments. <laughs> she was so brokenhearted that, number one, I wasn't kind of planned and prepared. Number two, that I gave her a mop, which I thought was really practical. Have you ever been in the doghouse? Um, I want to show you a video clip of just a few guys who have found themselves in the doghouse. Take a look at this. Hi, Isaac All right, here we go. Here it is. Okay. <laughs> This is my anniversary gift? Yep. A vacuum cleaner? Dual bag. This is the best vacuum cleaner you'll ever have, baby. Get in there. What? 
Not a big fan of that look. I got gotcha. you. New arrival in five, four, three, two, one. What is this place? You are in the doghouse. Dog? Since time immemorial, when men have messed up, they get sent here by their wives or girlfriends. Fold. Yeah, but I don't deserve to be here. I didn't do anything. Every man in the doghouse thinks he's innocent. Isn't that right, boys? <laughs> Look, all, all I know is that I got my wife this really nice gift, and then now here. What'd you get her? This brand new tool bag vacuum cleaner, actually. Yeah, that boys? He got our vacuum cleaner. You're a fool, man. <laughs> oh, it was dual bag. And dual bag doesn't know why he's here. <laughs> I realize it's not the most romantic gift, but there are many reasons a man can end up in here. I told my wife that staying home with the kids was a heck of a lot easier than having to actually work for a living. Pops. See, a lot of guys end up in here during the holidays because they give their wives thoughtless gifts, like a vacuum cleaner. I got my wife extra RAM memory for her computer as a gift. I even attached a note that said, thank you for the memories. It didn't go down very well. Help with the cooking. That's Oscar. He's been here so long, he's plain lost his mind. Legend has it he gave his wife a mustache waxer during the holidays. What is that on your lip? How do you get out? It's real hard. I just got reviewed last week. I went up before this review board. Let's review your fence. Think you're ready to rejoin your lovely wife? Oh, yes, ma'am. Donald, I'll be candid. If I had my way, you wouldn't even go before this board. I don't know what I was thinking when I gave my wife an abscissizer as a gift. Stupid, stupid, stupid. So next time you get her something truly nice, like a gym membership, perhaps. Exactly. I mean, no, I wouldn't get it that. I wouldn't get it that. I wouldn't get it that. Oh, please. Yes. <laughs> I just want to get out of here. Do you like that? Apologize. Yeah. Did I fool you? But yeah. I didn't fool them. Set up. Express Trick question. Feelings. I'm out the door. Work on the folding, Donnie. Yeah. Bye-bye. Is there any hope? Can you get out of here? One man got out. Express Arnold. Feelings. Help with the cooking. Stop checking out other women in restaurants. He sent us this. Arnold's wife let him out of the doghouse. Not sure how he did it. All right. <laughs> We've been there, haven't we? I want you to think about this for a second. Really think about this. When it comes to our relationship with God, I think positionally we think that we are in the doghouse with God. 
we get in the doghouse with God because of our sin. And that gets us to this, this mindset, this way of thinking that there's sin, there's guilt, there's condemnation, and, and we need a Savior. And, and we do. And, and it's important for us to consider why is it that we need a Savior? And while Jesus as our Savior, He forgives sin, He takes away punishment, that is not all that we need. If we live in the doghouse, this doghouse kind of living, this doghouse mentality, uh, we have dogs and you put them in like the crate and they start to whimper and they feel sorry, they want to get out and... And for us, there is this sense, like I've done something wrong and I'm in the doghouse and I need to like get myself out. But that's, that's not our position. I, I don't think that good resolutions, I don't think that somehow self-help we're going to get ourselves out. We are not in the doghouse. What this passage is saying is that we were in the morgue. We need to understand, I need to understand the depths of what Jesus did. You could go to a cemetery and you could play the revelry at the, on the trumpet and, and the people who are in the cemetery, the, the bodies that are dead are not going to wake up and rise up. You cannot pull yourself out of your own casket. You had to be raised up you had to be pulled out we were not in the doghouse it wasn't that we just did a couple of things that were wrong and bad and so we're put over there but we were in the morgue we were dead now there's a long history in the human race there have been and there are three views of the nature of man and i want you to see this and think about this that our mindset can be that man is well Man is sick or man is dead. If, if our mindset is that man is well, then we don't need all that much. We just need to take some vitamins, exercise. The motto for the man who is well is, I'm all right and you're all right. We're okay. That is a mindset that is pervasive in our culture. That is a mindset that is in me at times. Man is sick, might be ill, perhaps even terminally ill, but there is still hope of recovery. But the biblical teaching and what Paul is trying to tell the people of Ephesus in this passage is that you are not well, that you are not sick, but you are dead. You can't pull yourself out. It's not anything that you can do. It was what has been done for you. What I want you to think about, and we're going to do this, this is part of what we're doing. We're trying to develop an ethos of us getting together and, and talking through some of this. And I know that for some of you to turn around and talk to somebody is perhaps a little daunting and scary. And for those of you who are the extroverts, you've already done this and talked to everybody at the church and said hi. But we're going to take a couple minutes. And I want you to sit with this. Think about these, these words. And, and here's the question. It might be a little long, but we can simplify it. Where have you seen examples? Where have you seen examples either in your own life or in our culture in general of these three basic views of human nature? Where is this lived out? Where have you fallen into the temptation of like, I'm okay, I'm all right, you're all right, or sick, but I think I could pull out. I, if I just do something, if I just get this medicine, or I'm dead. Where, where does that look like? How does that shape 
some of your, your view. Where are you at? Where, what do you believe in? What have you believed in? Maybe some of the people around you. So can we do this? Can we just take a couple of minutes? Will you please just stand up for a second? We're going to take a break and talk to one another and think through this for a second. Go ahead. All right, let's gather back together. All right, here we go. Okay. Here's the picture. Do you understand that we were dead. We were not just in the doghouse, we were in the morgue. There's this vision that's given in Ezekiel 37, and it says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. This is the valley. It's like death valley for the soul. And it was full of bones, and he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, son of man, Can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. We were dead. Think of just this barren valley that's full of bones, lifeless. That was us. It's said, some commentators have talked about that the first three verses of Ephesians 2 are an outline, uh, and there's so much in common with the first three chapters of Romans 3, where we talk about the death and the depravity of man. This doctrine of depravity of man, it it says that every part of the human person is tainted with sin. Now, we are all not depraved equally. There's always room for deprovement, not improvement. So we can always become more depraved, and some of us have a greater capacity for that. But that in our depravity, that we have been lost, we are dead. But there's a transitional statement here in verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. But God. But God. I have a friend who's been struggling with some things. And and she said that I'm just waiting for that moment in my life. It'll be one of those moments where I can just stop and say, and then it happened. She's waiting for this this turn of events in her life where a miracle will take place and all of the pain and all of the sadness and all of the loneliness that has taken place in her life and then it happened. That's what this says. But God, what did God do? Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. In the NIV it says, but God, because of his great love, So out of his love and out of his mercy, the riches of his mercy, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. We have been made alive with Christ forever. Forever. He reached down and he took us from death spiritually, we were totally dead to all of the things of God and he made us alive. This, this idea of made us alive 
is, is a synonym to resurrection. This is resurrection talk. This is taking something. This is not a resuscitation. This is taking something that is dead and making it alive. Why did he do that? Because of his mercy, the riches of his mercy, the greatness of his love that he has. So with new life comes resurrection. And it says, by grace you have been saved. It's not by your efforts. It's not by your, your mournful heart. It's by grace. And we'll talk about that more next week. But he reached down and he pulled us out from death to life for those of us who believe so in new life, it comes resurrection. And I love in Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I, I keep getting this, and you start seeing the billboards out, uh, not scary farm. Like it, we have this, this picture that, like, that somehow the walking dead, that we can just walk out of our casket. You don't have that happen. People don't walk out of their caskets. There was nothing that we could do, but we were made alive because of God in Christ. But also with new life comes ascension. Now, I think this is so interesting. When you look at this passage, it says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about that that power, the same power that God had when he raised Jesus from the dead, it's, it's, it's in chapter 1, verse 20. I'll go just a little bit before that. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might with which he brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that raised Christ up from the dead now gets attributed to us right here. Even when we are dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is our destination. That is being made alive. So with new life, there is resurrection. With new life, there is ascension. And with new life comes riches. And I love this in verse 7. It says, so that, this is all of this because... So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I think we think a lot of times that salvation is just for us. It's exclusively for us. I want you to see that in this passage, the purpose of our salvation is to glorify God. There is no end. It says for the ages to come, over and over and all throughout eternity, we will be singing and glorifying God because he raised us from the dead. When you see how dead we were and that we have been made alive and seated with him in the heavenly places, that he is the one that gets the glory for our salvation. It's not because of anything that we did. So we need to understand this drawing, this God that wants to bring us in and he wants to redeem and he wants to restore. And we have to be able to see this clearly. Um, a guy named Plato, he lived a long time ago. He writes this, this epic allegory of the cave. And here's a couple of pictures, artist renditions, but this is, this is basically um, what's going on here. I, this is his allegory of the cave. He discusses the nature of reality. 
by addressing the chasm that exists between what is merely seen and what is. And in this picture, you see that there's a, a fire, there's a torch, and you see some people, and I'm looking at the one here on the left, that these are people, and, and, and Plato's telling this story, that the, the people have, are there, they're facing this wall, and they're chained, and they have been there since birth, since childhood, and they're forced to look at the wall. Their, their heads can't turn. The only thing that they can do, their entire reality, is looking at this wall. And between the people on the left and the fire up high on the right, there's this roadway. And there's a little bit of diffused light that's coming through, but there'd be these puppeteers that would kind of come behind this wall and they would hold up these different images. And the images would be shown and you have the light coming from behind and we cast a shadow. So their entire existence, what is reality for them is that they're seeing these shadows on the wall. That, that's their that is their reality. And Plato says that one is redeemed. One is taken out and, and dragged out in a sense because doesn't want to leave his reality. And he's taken out, brought through this chasm and actually brought up out of the cave and into the light. And it's hard and he resists. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't feel like this is freedom. And he comes out and he sees the light and he can't see. His eyes are burning. And eventually he's there and he sees these shadows and these figures and his eyes start to adjust and the night comes. And after he spent the night, then the sun comes and he's able to adjust. And now he sees what really is. And he realizes that everything that he's ever seen before was just a, a shadow. With this new hope, with this new news, he wants to come back down and he wants to tell the other prisoners, I've seen the light, I know reality. And his message comes back. And as he's talking to everybody, nobody wants to believe him. They say, the light, whatever it is that you just saw, it's damaged your eyes. That is a false reality. That is not true. And so there's a frustration that has set in. For us, I want us to understand. There are some of you who have placed your trust and your faith in Jesus, and you have moved from death to life. There are some of you who believe that the reality that you are in, that I am well, or I might be a little bit sick, but I can heal, that that is not the truth. The reality is that we were dead, that we were in the morgue and Christ made us alive and he wants to resurrect us. And we can't ignore that. We need to pay attention. We need to understand just how deep and dim these shadows of our life, of our reality can be. If you think about somebody out in the ocean or even in a pool and they're playing in the pool and they're just messing around, having fun. And somebody comes up and they take a life preserver and they throw it at them and it hits them in the head. Their response might be, hey, what are you doing? They might get a little bit angry and upset. But if that person is in the same pool and they are drowning and they cannot hold on and they are going down and somebody throws a life preserver and it hits them in the head, they're probably not going to be as angry. When we understand the depths of our deadness, then we can understand the depths of our riches in Christ that he wants to give us salvation. So here's where I want us to leave today. Is this question. Do we believe in the resurrection? Do we believe in the resurrection? In Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches, in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe in the resurrection? Now, let me be honest for a second. I want you to hear this. And this is maybe a moment of vulnerability, but we had to really wrestle with this in our life and our family. I've grown up knowing God my entire life, but was really forced to wrestle with this question. Almost three years ago, our marriage fell apart. And as a pastor, there's something that feels kind of shaming about it, but I just want you to know that just like you guys. Our marriage fell apart, and I remember that we were actually we were sleeping in, in separate rooms. We just did not want to have anything to do with each other, and and Marilee got the sense that she just said, "Like our, our marriage, our marriage was dead." She was wrestling all night, was up all night, and she heard the voice of the Lord, and He asked. She she said, "I heard Jesus asking me, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe?" that I was raised from the dead. She said that was the first time that she really like sat there and wrestled with that question. And as she thought about it, she came to the conclusion, yes, I really believe. And, and Jesus said, if you believe that I've been raised from the dead, then I can raise your dead marriage. I can raise your marriage that was dead and you can become alive. For us, that's a turning point. Now, we're not perfect. Still mess up. We still have trouble. But I want you to hear that God is in the business of taking dead things and making them alive. He wants to resurrect. What is it in your life that needs to be resurrected? But first and foremost, if we are walking in sin, if we are in our trespasses, if we have no awareness of God in our lives, God wants to take us from death and bring us to life. But I want you to know that like, there is hope, whatever your circumstances are, that God wants to raise you up. So we want to respond. This morning, here's my challenge. Number one, that you would receive Jesus. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if you are dead in your sins, if you've never received him, if you don't believe in him, that today might be that day where you pass from the morgue into eternal life, seated at the right hand of the Father. That you would be placed in the heavenly places today. You could do that by praying with us. We have some folks that will be at the prayer points over on the sides. We'd love to pray for you. We also have communion. There's stations here. If you haven't been here before, we have some tables around the room. And we take the bread and we take the cup. And we remember that Jesus overcame death. That he was resurrected. And so we celebrate that newness of life. And we also have offering there. It's a way that we give back and we support the work in the ministry of Calvary Church. And so we're going to remember this morning. We are going to remember that God has called us out of death and he's brought us in and wants to resurrect us and if you have been resurrected that we remember and we are thankful for that and we live into that as the worship team comes up i want to pray and let's let's worship god and let's respond to him this morning god our father we thank you 
Thank you for the gift of our salvation. Thank you for the gift of your son. Whatever it is that we feel hopeless about in this moment, whatever it is that we think will not turn around in our lives, give us a glimmer of hope today. Help us to realize that the shallowness of our belief about our sin and our deadness can lead to a shallow belief about our salvation. You want to redeem every part. And if our depravity is that every part of our body is tainted by sin, that in you making us alive, that every part of our body has been touched by you and you have redeemed and made alive. So God, would you do the work of healing in this room this morning? Would you make what is dead alive? Help us to step forward in boldness and in truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want, come meet us, please. I wanna, I'm going to go over here and let's talk. I want to pray over you and uh, let's worship God together.